Welcome back to Into the Fray. On this episode today, you'll be listening to an older conversation that we had with Kobe Tomlinson. Now, this conversation was from back in, I don't know, like December or November of last year, somewhere around that time. Anyways, you may have heard it before. The episode did do good on listens, but as I told you last week, Kobe was supposed to come on again and us have a conversation, continuing the conversation me and Robbie had about education, uh, kind of dive more into the philosophy behind education, and specifically the argument behind why you should give your kid a Christian education. Well, after me and Kobe both listening back to the episode, we decided that we wanted to re-record and have the conversation again, hit on some different points that we didn't catch on the last recording, and so we are planning on re-recording very, very soon. Hopefully, it'll be out within the next month or so. But with saying that, I did think it'd be a good idea to revisit the old Kobe episode that I recorded late last year because in that episode, the audio is off. It wasn't that good, and I hated that. One of the mics went out. Sometimes, again, I'm such a noob when it comes to editing all this and uh, recording these podcasts. So that that's just on me. And I, I honestly, when it re- happened the first time, I got to his house and I hit record, and I started panicking because I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what, and I tried everything I knew how to do to fix it, and it wasn't working. It was the first time I ever recorded away from the studio that we have at the church, but. Again, the episode came out. Now I have a little bit more information on how to fix things like what had happened. Uh, I did it with the Miss Morgan episode. And so I thought it'd be a good idea to revisit Kobe's episode, edit it up, fix the audio quality, and re-release it so that you can still hear from Kobe but enter his mind on a kind of the same topic but in a little bit of a different area specifically in this episode he talks more about discipleship within the local church and families and specifically how he discipled me and really shaped a lot of why I uh, I interact with my faith the way I do today Kobe is the youth pastor who came into my life and introduced me to Jesus, taught me how to read my Bible, taught me to pray, taught me the importance of intentionality with the scriptures and and taking your faith seriously. And uh, he got me into reading books, as you know, I, I love doing. So I really hope you just enjoy this episode. And yeah, subscribe, share it with a friend, and be looking forward to more episodes to come, especially with a new format that we have coming up very, very soon. Thank you. I mean, conversational dynamics are a 
always an interesting thing. I mean, I've, I've listened to podcasts before that I'm like, this is going to be the best podcast that I've ever listened to because these are two very like interesting people. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, that it was really not engaging, you know? And I mean, you, you throw yeah. in like different levels of like comfort and anxiety, you know? Um, like if I didn't know you, I, I, I would be like, I've had to be on the radio a few times. Um, with the school, you yeah. know, and including like this past January, um, talking about school choice and, and this is things. actually really good. I know. I make I make a really freaking good cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. But you said half caffeine, I was like, oh God. Yeah, I go heavy. I go I go a little hard on the coffee knowing that it's half calf. because I, w- I was talking to my doctor and you know, during the school year I will easily drink about 12 or 14 cups of coffee a day you know and it's not even it's not even this like uh like i'm dragging it's just like when i when i'm doing something at the school i just want to have a cup of coffee you know it's about Uh, yeah it's exactly right you know um i can't use that phrase because i've exited you know any any uh you know uh there's no more youth left here um but uh but yes it is a vibe um reading a book uh Meeting with teachers, visiting yeah. classrooms, um, you know, hammering out emails. Like, I just like coffee, you yeah. know. Uh, and the doctor suggested, and my parents were suggesting. They were like, "You should, you should switch to half calf." And so, in my in my mind, I'm like, I'm I'm good for 24 cups of coffee if they're half calf because that's basically like the 12. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like a bunch of half cups of coffee. You know, wow. uh, but I, I mean, I've, I've like dramatically like tried to decrease my coffee intake, and uh, I don't know. I'm naturally a jittery person, so I don't know if it's helping. But the flavor, yeah, is now something I will never, I, I will never live a lie of drinking decaf coffee. Yeah, like people who do that, I mean, that's fine. You do what you want with your life, but there, there is something probably wrong with you on a fundamental level that you can. It's kind of like Ron Swanson talked about soy milk being milk that's lying about yeah uh, it's it's something lying about being milk you know yeah it's like if somebody told me all they had was decaf i'm like i don't uh why why are we drinking this so but the going back to the no no it's fine i'm all about i was was very shocked Yeah. yeah um i don't know i i think i think uh like my anxiety was high when I was on the radio, you know. Um, I don't like being in front of a camera. I don't like, in a lot of ways, I, I'm not comfortable being known. And I think a lot of people feel that way, you yeah. know. And sometimes that can manifest with like rigidity in a conversation. Like maybe they reluctantly agree to do an interview, and then they're like, their nervousness saps their ability to have a dynamic conversation you know or and i don't know anything about that lady um a lot of people all of us struggle with uh authenticity you know yeah and i think every person wants to give off some form of a i've got things under control like you know like things are pretty good you know even when they're not yeah I mean it's one of the reasons like if somebody asks me and it depends on how they ask me if they're like uh, 
you doing okay? I'm immediately like, what do you, why don't you get off my case? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I Like they say yeah. like that, like, you doing okay? And I'm like, I, I was until you asked <laughs> that. You know? Okay, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> why don't you ask me how I'm doing like a normal human being <laughs> instead of sending me into an anxiety attack, you know? Um, Your dad would do that sometimes. Yeah. That, yeah. And then like the whole rest of the day, I'm just like in my head, like, <laughs> what did, I, I lit, there was one day I literally just walked into the shop. Yeah. Like, I'd only been there for five seconds. Yeah. And he has this question and he immediately was, mm-hmm. you okay? Yeah. And I, I, I was just like, I, I was having a great morning. Yeah. The best morning until you asked that. Yeah. I'm like, you got me messed up. Now, man. <laughs> mm, gosh. Yeah. I know, I know that feeling. But like, I don't know. Like, yeah, this, this is, this is why I had the conversation that I had with you on the, on the mm-hmm. phone before agreeing to this is like, I, I want to talk about all of these things, but like, and I, I mean, knowing you, I don't. I know you didn't expect me to be like, come on as an expert. You know me too well to know that I'm not an expert. But like, the older that I've gotten, the more that aspect of like just being sometimes to a fault raw and like authentic of just being like, you know, sometimes as a parent, I literally hate myself. Like. You know, and like unpacking, like here that you know, Ezra. Ezra is my, he's me. Yeah. And therefore, we hate each other sometimes. <laughs> you know, um, and and that junk's hard. You know, um, and then you you add to that like the different personas people have to put on. Like people see me at the school as Mr. Tomlinson, and I have to like, in some ways, yeah. play this actor of like I never get frustrated. And that's the. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of been the struggle with the podcast mm-hmm. and even being like a, a leader at the church is I don't I feel like just because I've seen so many church leaders fall mm-hmm. and it, you, like it comes out that like they have this secret life that you didn't know about mm-hmm. it's made me be like well then I'm, I'll just let everybody know exactly what's going on yeah uh, not like mm-hmm every detail but yeah i'll keep a lot of the cards on the table mm-hmm. and try to be very transparent and uh but then there's also the part of me that's like i i only have social media because during covid that was the only way i could keep in contact with the church mm-hmm. and i don't want to be on social media yeah i don't want to i didn't want to do the podcast mm-hmm. of robbie asked me to do the, he kind of Positioned me to where I'm doing the podcast. I'm like, okay, I'm doing the podcast. Here we are. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a struggle because it's become less of a struggle the more I've done it. Because the more I, I just understood kind of where I'm at, and it's like uh, if someone has a problem with it, deal with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've tried to just be. Uh, The older I get, I feel like a lot of my views have changed, mm-hmm. and so I've become less uh, okay with trying to be an expert mm-hmm. on things, because yeah. I'm like, well, I thought I was an expert before, mm-hmm. and I wasn't, yep. so yeah. I'm going to guard against that, and kind of, uh, I don't mind sharing my opinions, but I'm not going to come into the conversation with like, this is matter of fact how it's supposed yeah. to be, Yeah. Like, and I think that makes a lot of people uncomfortable now because I'm 
way more okay with things being complicated and chaotic mm-hmm. than I probably used to, or for sure used to be. Yeah. It used to be, it was like, uh, like Reformed theology, it was like, it's got to line up yep. perfectly. Yep. And now I'm like, nah. Yeah. I, I don't understand, like, yep. I know I can understand why people are as Reformed as they are. Mm-hmm. Like, logically, I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, to me, I just I don't see it the same way I used to, yeah. and I see it's like uh, how I described it to some of the people at the church is like I'm okay uh, listening to people who aren't reformed or aren't Baptist or whatever, mm-hmm. or even like your more liberal theologians, not because I think they're all right about everything, but it's like sometimes I feel like we're at the dinner table mm-hmm. and it's like the father is at the the, the top of the table mm-hmm. and we're just looking at it from two different angles and I see him and he's got a mole on like the right side of his face mm-hmm. but he doesn't have a mole on the left side of his face mm-hmm. and so the person on the left side's like he doesn't have moles mm-hmm. I'm like no he has a mole mm-hmm. and it's like well you gotta that's like the importance of like trying to get the full perspective of yeah. and trying to like read my bible with people who are different too yeah and just being like I don't know I, I my faith is way more so of like uh, it's like a just a mess mm-hmm. of a bunch of different ideas mm-hmm. and trying <clears throat> to make them work together it's just like I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't do that. Yeah, I, th- I think working at the school for me, I mean, it's changed my life in a lot of ways. It, like some of the best years of my life have been at that school, and two of the worst years of my life have been at that school. You know, some some of the the worst years, some of it was self inflicted, some of it was out of my control. You know, so I mean, no surprise, the two worst years are like twenty twenty. <laughs> through the end of 2021 yeah <laughs> um, so I mean you know it's understandable yeah not, not <laughs> yeah. alone in that I'm like what the what the heck am I doing but like the most valuable thing is I mean literally I've I've got almost every denomination represented yeah and not only that because our student population is not only uh denominationally diverse but it's uh like racially uh culturally politically diverse yeah all of the messiness that goes with that is like in the forefront like i mean i'm having to think through not only the differences that might come up with some of the churches that we partner with believe women could be pastors yeah and some of my students struggle with the national anthem or with the pledge, you know. Yeah. And I've got teachers looking at me like, do I make them say it? Or, do, you know. And living in that tension where, you know, I try to set things up to where people can be who they are in the right way. You yeah. Know, there, there's yeah. A, there's, yeah. People can be who they are, they can gotcha. be authentic. And. There have been a lot of conversations where I'm like, I know, I said diversity is a hijacked word, but it's a 
I believe it's a biblical value. You know, you look at the the picture of of you know the our eternal state or whatever. Every tribe, every tongue, all peoples, all languages, like all of that sort of stuff. Like diversity is a part of God's plan, and what we are more comfortable with is uh, what is it hom- homogeneity, like uh, sameness, yeah. like. I'm real comfortable being around people that only agree with me, but it's it's not as yeah yeah it's it's not as fun either. Like I've told my teachers, I'm like diversity is a value that we have to uphold, and almost by design, it's uncomfortable and complicated sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, but isn't that like the thing that it kind of convicted me of is uh, the more I kind of diversified my life the more I had to come to terms with the fact that I wanted to be in control yeah. and I had this yeah. uh, in a sense I, I wanted to be God mm-hmm. I want you to fit exactly I want you to be in my image Yeah, and that was like the, that, that was a huge thing of having to let go of being like you, you'll never be able to make someone to your image uh, mm-hmm. because your image is always going to change yeah of you, uh, I remember I have a friend who they uh, I always felt like they wanted me to be uh, they had these uh, expectations of what they wanted me to be mm-hmm. and I would try to meet them Yeah, and then they'd change and I'd be like I, I just met them like, right yeah can you just stay stay yeah. with this mm-hmm. and I found that I was doing that too if I had expectations for people of what I wanted them to be and uh, how I wanted them to believe, how I wanted them to get to their beliefs. Yeah, and it just became a thing of like, that's not how God works with you. Yeah, thank like, God. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's crazy sometimes for me to think back of like when I was sixteen and eighteen. Mm-hmm. I thought I had God figured out, <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm like. <laughs> 16, 18 year old Austin might think 24 year old Austin's a heretic Mm -hmm. but for 24 year old Austin it's probably way closer to Jesus than Mm -hmm. the 16, 18 year old Austin yeah because I I, and it's again this phrase I hate but it's like I feel like it does capture it like life's this journey with God and uh it's it's okay like you're never you're not gonna. You're not supposed to reach the destination quite yet. Yeah, you're gonna have things that aren't. Yeah, you're perfect. Yeah, it's uh. I don't know. We're just we're comfortable with with neat neat boxes and and all of that and like. I don't know. I. I was I was talking to somebody the other day and this, I'm I'm gonna reference this exact conversation because. This, it was in the context of American history. Um, and I was telling him if, like, leftist people who are hypercritical of America think that I'm a, like, diehard nationalist, like, red, white, and blue, yeah. like, these, if they think that about me, and if the people who are, like, God and country, like, uh, the, the flag draped over the cross like yeah. you know uh, if if the people who are actual crazy like yeah. nationalist kind of thing if they think that I'm a leftist 
like if the opposite sides think that I'm crazy, yeah. like I'm probably in a sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and if like people who are really rigid think that I'm liberal. Yeah. And if liberal people think that I'm really rigid, like that's a spot that I'm comfortable yeah, like I'm not comfortable, but I feel like that's a that's a good balance. Yeah, you know, to have. Um, and there's a lot. There's a lot of. There were a lot of years of my life where that you know that wouldn't have been the case. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I, and I think I think reform theology is particularly given to, like. Do you feel like uh, Mark Driscoll said this in? when he made this comment there's a whole lot you can unpack but Mm -hmm. he said that uh, the young restless reform movement is a bunch of people with like daddy wounds Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to find uh, they're just trying to feel those wounds by being Mm -hmm. in this really locked in tribe and all Mm -hmm. that stuff sometimes I wonder that of like maybe it's not daddy wounds per se but like I feel like a lot of reform people are somehow an outcast Mm mhm Granted, like, I feel like every tribe feels that way. Yeah. Before they become part of the tribe. But, like, reform people of, like, or the Young Restless Reform mm-hmm. Group, specifically, they for sure were the outcasts in the church. Mm-hmm. And so, when they found this, these beautiful truths, they locked in and they're like, we're, mm-hmm. this is our tribe, this is our identity, and we're just going to press deeper and deeper and we're going to become more, like, build the walls up to mm-hmm. kind of protect ourselves mm-hmm. yeah no. yeah I mean it's you know I think I think everybody's like wounded in yeah. some way you know in like the psychology or whatever you want to say about like how that manifests theologically and, and all of that um, I'm not sure you know because yeah. people are people are complicated um I, I definitely resonate with like what you were saying of like uh, people who were like getting into reform theology in some ways like it became trendy but there was a time in which it wasn't yeah. you know and with the th- stuff that I was always interested in like skateboarding and like punk music and like it was always like I always had uh, there was a real appeal to me of like just contrarianism yeah you know uh probably border bordering on it was almost like a as as close to anti-authoritarianism as i could get without being disobedient to the you know what i mean yeah Yeah. i'm like right there (laughs) at the edge you know and in some ways like reformed theology kind of felt that way for me but it, it it really was like coupled with like when I was in college like feeling like for the first time you know those years late high school where I was really trying to let God's word like just say what it says yeah. and like believe it you know yeah. and then I you know I was in, I was in, ending up listening to people who tended to be more reformed you know mm-hmm. and, and Mark Driscoll was. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't particularly, I don't listen to him much now. Um, but uh, I mean, he was one of the most influential. Uh, it's hard people. to shake him off of you. Uh, yeah, there, there's a sermon that he preached 
when Mars Hill was in its heyday, and this was, I think I listened to this in 2010, and it was called Ministry Marriages, um, and it's still, I still think about that sermon, um, because he, he went through all of these people throughout church history who were supposed spiritual giants, like he talked about A.W. Tozer, and he talked about John Wesley, um, he talked about some of the missionaries that people laud as like, look at all the sacrifice they made for the gospel, mm-hmm. and he and he highlighted the fact that they neglected their family and neglected their children. And I remember him saying that your family, you should not sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. You know, and so he was talking about yeah. like the danger for people who serve in any form of ministry and prioritizing ministry over their family and being encouraged in that in many ways and looked yeah. at as like look how selfless they are meanwhile like your most important mission field is being neglected and your children are suffering you know yeah. your wife is suffering <clears throat> if I could go back and get that sermon you know yeah. uh, I mean I listen to that thing on an iPod <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, you know I was, dri- I was driving uh, I was driving home from Liberty uh, listening to that sermon um, that was also during the time uh, I remember driving down the road, and I was listening to, to his infamous "How dare you?" Yeah, uh, who do you think you are, sir? I was like, "What?" You know, I was, like, <laughs> I, could, I was I could not believe what I was listening to. You know, so I mean, all of that, like, yeah. you know, there was good, there was good, but there's definitely some rough, you know, yeah. bad parts that I had to. One of the things that actually I know I got some of it from you of uh, my teaching style, specifically with our youth group. It very much is a rip off of you, mm-hmm. but uh, growing up with Mark Driscoll too, of someone who takes the word very seriously, and I mean he was he was tackling things in the culture, but like he he had no problem if he went thirty minutes over, mm-hmm. and you're you're gonna walk through verse by verse, and but you're gonna do it in this way that's really challenging, and oh. It's. I still feel like he, uh, his teaching style is probably the thing I took away the most. Yeah. I I I I can't not think that way. Yeah. Of. It's like it. Granted, I was also like thirteen when I was listening to him, mm-hmm. and so, as my brain's still developing and all, like, I'm listening to Mark Driscoll and how he explains things. I'm like, this is. Yeah. This is how I'm gonna start. Explaining things. Yeah. That's how I'm going to think through things. Mm-hmm. That's. <laughs> yeah. But, it, yeah. You know, it was interesting, and I would make an assumption knowing you. Did you, like, devour the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Oh, first. I still re listen to it. Yeah. All the I, time. I, I'm, I've intended on going back through, man. Um, there, there were moments as I was listening to that, and, and I know this is stupid in some ways because I was not, I wasn't a part of that church, but like, he, that church, everything about, I remember building the website for Southside, mm-hmm. trying to be an exact ripoff of the resurgence. All I wanted it to yeah. look like <laughs> the resurgence, you know? Um, but there were times when I was listening to that podcast, I'm, I'm like pressure washing my parents' house listening to it, and I'm like emotional. Yeah. You know, because they they did this, 
that that dude right, he doctor. scripted you know and when i say scripted like he the way that he told that story yeah. actually captured the way that i felt when i yeah like i felt like i was a part of something you know yeah. when when uh mars hill was in its high and i it even reminded me of some of the things that i loved about mark yeah. driscoll you know yeah. and i'm like I mean, he, he went off the deep end, but... It made me want to go back and listen yeah, to him again, literally. but also be like, no, I don't yeah. need to. Yeah. Just just some of his uh, his coarseness, which I know is a controversial thing. Um, you know, uh, the the thought or the, the picture of... And I, I, was at a, I was at that birthday dinner last night, and somebody was talking about their husband went on a men's retreat, and I would have been like, it's called a men's advance, because <laughs> men don't retreat, you yeah. know? I, I freaking love that, yeah. you know, or they have that men's advance and they're giving all of the men rocks back. Yeah. They're giving you your balls back, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> hey, I probably shouldn't say that. It's good. But like, I remember like listening to that and I'm like, heck yeah, we need to do that. Like, yeah. you know, and uh, how that's, just, that's just the, the struggle because I'm still very much uh my my pick is uh, the guy I look up to the most is Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Because I want to be the most loving person people have ever met. Mm-hmm. I, I think what he did was amazing. Mm-hmm. But I'm also really like drawn to your Jordan Petersons, your yeah. Joe Rogans, Mark yeah. Driscoll still yeah. of like mm-hmm. men need to toughen up and yeah. take responsibility. Like yeah. I still like that if there's the, the one thing that really makes I work on my anger a lot but the one thing that really still pisses me off is uh, walking through situations with like uh, guys my age mm-hmm. and then watching them like abandon their their baby mama mm-hmm. I'm just like yeah that's when it's like the how dare you want to yeah, come out exactly and yeah it's it's that struggle of like I can see where Mark Driscoll took things way too far. I think he, yeah. he treated women terribly uh, with some of his teachings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then there's also a part of me that's like, yeah, yeah but him calling me out on my laziness and my yeah. my apathy and uh, my softness in areas, like, yeah. I needed that. Yeah. Like, I, I, needed, mm-hmm. I needed someone to challenge my manhood because yeah. I didn't I didn't know what it was like to be a man mm-hmm. like I was I, I didn't ever uh, one of the things I've always struggled with was the guys growing up in South Georgia what you think of men for me at least was they gotta go fishing they hunt mm-hmm. they watch football mm-hmm. they're into all these like very like uh, I don't know, traditionally manly things mm-hmm. and growing up I was always like I don't wanna go hunt I wanna go draw a picture yeah yeah <laughs> And so, there's always a part of me that felt like I was, like, not uh, qualified to be a man. But mm-hmm. then Mark Driscoll comes in, and he's like, that's not what manhood is. Yeah. Manhood is you take responsibility, yeah. you get a job, and you, mm-hmm. you, like, you love your wife and kids really well. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can, I can do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's exactly right. I, uh, remind me, don't let me fail to quote and this will be the only time I quote Douglas Wilson, uh, <laughs> but I want to circle back to yeah. a, a Douglas Wilson quote, but like, I want to make sure that I say like, I think we all struggle with balance. Like, um, 
every facet of our lives, I think there is an opportunity for you to be in a ditch, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times uh, we find ourselves like with the cruise control set at like 65, looking at all the people on the road, you yeah. know? Like, what's wrong with y'all? Because we're like hammered into that <laughs> ditch, you yeah. know? And we're comfortable in that ditch. But like, okay, there, there, there is a an aspect of you know, and it's present in church culture. It's present in uh, just culture at large of like self-esteemism and like this uh, softness. Like yeah. again, going back to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, where they're talking about how he would make fun of promise keepers and how you know this guy would be like dressed in pastel colors and everybody would gather yeah. around and cry. Like. I don't want to be that, okay? I, I don't want to be, you know, uh, I, I don't want to be effeminate. I don't want to be uh, passive and, and, and all of these different things. But then there's also a problem on the other side where you're a bully, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I can't, I kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. But basically there's a there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And on the one hand, I want to be, an emotionally sensitive, Mm -hmm. self-reflective person, you know, who is gentle with people. Okay, gentleness is probably the best word, or or kind, you know, kind-hearted. And then there's the other side of me that I want, I want to be tough. I want to be known as decisive. I want to be known as like, I want to be known as an intense guy, you know. Um, And... There's problems with both of those, yeah. you know. But I think there's, I think there's, a balance that's found in the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle, you know. Yeah. Um, two two things, and then I'll <laughs> stop. So, mm-hmm. you talk you talk about wanting to be known as, and I can't remember how you put it, like the most loving person that people yeah. know. And ever since I read this biography of J.C. Ryle, uh, the he was like a bishop, Anglican bishop in the 1800s. Um, huh. he, he, he's an amazing man, very, very interesting guy. Um, but there's a great biography written by Ian Murray called Prepared to Stand Alone. Um, and long, long story short, Raoul was a godly man and very committed to loving the people in his local church. Um, lived during a time of a lot of uh, compromise and a lot of heresy and theological, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, liberalism. But people would describe him, and they they would say that Ryle was the man who had granite convictions but the heart of a child. And ever ever since I heard that, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to be. Like, I want people to know that, like, on the things that matter the most— on the non-negotiables, like I'm dying on those hills, you know, but that I would not be so dug in on, you know, I got to take a stand, I got to do this, that, and the other, that I wouldn't be so dug in there that I wouldn't be kind and gentle toward people, you know. Uh, You think part of that is like, uh, for me, uh, I realized part of it was just like a fear of when I was uh, die hard on like secondary issues. Mm Mm-hmm. It was just, uh, maybe it goes back to that control thing of, like, I was afraid of, like, what could happen. Yeah. Of, 
and two it was like this i uh, i had this belief i didn't realize it but uh i'm afraid that your your bad ideas about god or about how the church should be run or something like that that are like secondary issues could lead to something mm-hmm. and it it uh take over yeah and kind of how we've we've approached the podcast and all is uh, and even in our youth group because they they bring a ton of crazy ideas <laughs> yeah uh, is being more confident in who god is and that the best idea will win mm. and like you can walk into a room full of heretics mm-hmm. and not be scared mm-hmm. of sometimes when I would walk in before it would be out of fear mm-hmm. and so out of fear I'd be very uh, defensive and I wouldn't be willing to listen and I'm just ready to like yeah. uh, hit all my points Yeah. now it's like uh, trying to take on the character of God where it says he's slow to speak and quick to listen mm-hmm. and I don't think it's him being passive. I think it's he knows mm-hmm. the outcome mm-hmm. and he knows what the truth is, and so he can walk into those the room full of heretics, so yeah. to say, and he's like, "Tell me your ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, let's engage with them. Mm-hmm. You, you, like, you paint it out for me. I'm just gonna ask some questions." Yeah. For me, that seems like way more fun too. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not as stressed or as anxious approaching things. Mm-hmm. Your, the heresies like that yeah, yeah. I don't know I feel like I just went on a tangent but yeah no no uh, I, I think some of that connects back to as well what is what is my faith actually in you yeah know? because I think that sometimes having all of these questions buttoned down mm-hmm. you know and like I've got an answer for this and I know where to go for that and like what we end up finding is that we might not realize it in the moment, but like our faith is actually in this system that we've built up instead Mm -hmm. of like in the Lord who made heaven and earth and, you know, who is, you know, incomprehensible and big and and all of these different things. And I think, like you said, sometimes, sometimes that rigidity can come out of a place of fear because we, we wonder if, well, if I hear this uh, counterpoint that Mm -hmm. it's like a, it's like the, a sweater that has a, a string that yeah. gets pulled and then it keeps getting pulled and, mm-hmm. and then the sweater is gone. Like, you you know, I, th- I think a lot of times when our faith is rooted in a system instead of in, in the Lord, and I'm not, those are not always exclusive. Yeah. Like, I agree. you know, and I, th- I think that God is a God of order. There, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Bible, the Bible's organized in a way where we can develop an understanding about specific things you know but like I don't know I think I think like you said that sense of control we'd like we like acting as if everything is way more buttoned up than it really is and there's there are a lot of things that are far more open to you know let's say flexibility you know and and definitely mystery you know I mean I work with a bunch of charismatic people you know um and uh you know, I work with, you know, Methodists, and, I mean, we've had interesting, interesting conversations about topics like apostasy and, mm-hmm. um, you know, spiritual warfare and, and different things like that. And 
I don't know. I've just found a lot of value working at the school, being able to because I do I do staff devotion on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I mean, typically, you know, we just read through a passage of scripture and I'll make some comments on it. Um, but I've I mean, recently I've read selections to them from John Owen, uh, the Puritan. I've I've read commentaries and stuff uh, to them from Warren Wearsby. I mean, like it kind of ends up going all over the map, you know? Yeah. And I'll end up trying to, like, incorporate, like, uh, I've quoted Ian e. Bounds, who's a f- <laughs> famous Methodist, you know? Yeah. Um, just trying to, like, be conscious of of my people, you yeah. know? Uh, for charismatic uh, people, a lot of times I'll, you know, I'll lean into somebody like Sam Storms or something like that, yeah. or, you know, we, we end up singing a lot of Sovereign Grace music, which is, like, Reformed charismatic, you know? Yeah. And so, like trying to exist in a bunch of different worlds has been it, it's it's actually life-giving it's not taxing you know mm-hmm. it's uh it's, it's one of my favorite parts of the job i actually wouldn't want it if, if i had the choice today to make highland a reformed school or a baptist school i, I wouldn't um do you feel pressure sometimes no thankfully um you know there, there were some things that needed to be refined as it related to the school's identity when I first got there because, like, it was promoting itself as a non-denominational school, but it was definitely leaning hard into the charismatic realm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were some, like, classes that were teaching forms of prayer that are very particular to the charismatic yeah. church and stuff, and so, like, I had to adjust some of that, but, like because it was clear that I wasn't trying to make the school in my image to use your phrase and I was like here's our statement of faith like this is what we need to major on like it actually takes the pressure off Mm -hmm. you know and I mean I people know where I'm at generally theologically you know Um, and I feel like people can come in and they can be who they are you know Mm -hmm. Um, and for six years it's been working really well and the the school board is is really supportive in that regard like they're not trying to turn it into a baptist school or a methodist school or whatever Mm -hmm. you know i mean we've got a unique opportunity and for me it i think about it with my kids because isaac isn't uh you need to redact that uh i have a son who uh has a name who is in a (laughs) group you know (laughs) like uh, like, what did you say yeah um so Isaac's in second grade, yeah. and uh, he, with with our school being interdenominational, he will grow up with an opportunity and in an environment that a lot of I would I would venture to say a lot of people uh, have not had that opportunity, which is Christians from diverse backgrounds yeah. working together and it actually working. You yeah, know? it helps that we're not a church. So we don't have like pews to argue over or the color of carpet or style yeah. of music and that sort of thing. But like Isaac will be taught by charismatic people and Methodist people and Baptist and Presbyterian and like those. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That okay. So obviously I brought you on because I want to talk about discipleship. When it comes to discipling Isaac, how does that uh? Has that ever struck fear in you of well, he's not being raised strictly reformed, even though like you're still mm-hmm. like y'all have a large voice at your house and 
at yeah. your church. Yeah. But him being at a, a school where mm-hmm. he can be influenced by different denominations. Yeah. Did that ever strike fear of like, oh God, what if he becomes a Methodist or? I mean, God forbid. <laughs> um, so no, um, I, I can't say that I've, I've necessarily put a whole lot of thought into. Things look a little bit different because he's so young, and so some of the conversations that get engaged in are, they don't get real denominationally specific in elementary, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Now, as he gets older, and he's more conscious of the fact that this teacher is a part of a different church, like one of the things that I, I want him to be able to do is actually go ask them and be like, why do you go to this church? Why does your church practice this? Like, And at least in theory and in this moment, it doesn't. It doesn't make me fearful to think about him engaging with other Christians because really, what when, when people ask me like overall goals that I have for all of the kids at the school, it's not that they would be Reformed Baptist uh, or any denomination. It's that they would love God and that they would love His Word. You know, uh, obviously uh, another facet of that they would love people. You know, mm-hmm. but like a priority of loving God and loving His Word. Um, uh, you know, that, that Latin phrase, quorum Deo, uh, which means before the Lord, you know, before the face of God. Like, that's... Yeah. Me and Mike, because uh, he was telling me about the perimeter Baptist ministry called yeah. Quorum Deo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that, like, that explained what the name actually meant. Yeah. You guys didn't get into that? Uh I I didn't even know how to really pronounce it. Yeah, and he pronounced it a very different way than I did. Yeah, you know? but I was just like, "What is what is this?" Yeah, yeah. It's just it's before yeah. before the face of God. All of life okay. is before the face of God. Um, huh. If Isaac grows up, and I say this right now, it's easy for me to say this uh, in theory. Okay, if Isaac grows up and he becomes, if he's plugged into a charismatic church. But he loves the Lord, yeah. you know. That should be okay with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we we can disagree. Like if he if he knows the Lord, I mean, I think that's probably the number one priority for me. You know, I mean, I think about all of these, like J.C. Ryle, for instance. Yeah. It was either his son or his grandson, like abandoned the faith. You think about Francis Schaeffer, mm-hmm. you know, twentieth century. Uh, philosopher and theologian um his his son you know apostatized essentially um you see that a lot you know and in some ways i feel like that has caused me to take a step back and be like you know obviously i pray that the lord would save my children you know but it's like help me to like hold forth for them like the right things like you know i I mean, it's it's just, it's just like if he, you know, when he begins like being interested in girls and stuff like that. I mean, like the things that I'm not going to be concerned about. I'm not going to be concerned about the color of her skin. I'm not going to be yeah. concerned about, in some ways, at least uh, the church that they're a part of. I mean, I would, I, you know, if there are churches that I would be concerned uh, for my boy to be a part of, if that makes sense. But yeah. like. 
man, do I am I able to discern that they love the Lord? Like, yeah, that's what I want for my boy is to marry. Uh, I want him to love the Lord, and I want him to marry a woman who loves the Lord. Yeah, you can build from that. You know? Yeah, that's been the challenge of like breaking out of my the Reformed tribe is. It felt like God was putting people in my life who weren't Reformed, and showing me that. Uh, Miss Morgan loves Jesus, mm-hmm. but she believes women can be pastors. Mm-hmm. And me having to come to terms with like, yeah, oh, like she's but she lives every day mm-hmm. trying to honor God in everything she does, mm-hmm. and she's she does it really well. I need to take a step back and just be like, oh, maybe that's a secondary issue. You want some more of that? I would love some more. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and same with like. It's it's forced me to even see how God is working in people's lives who aren't even Christians. Mm-hmm. Of and some people would struggle with this, but like me having friends who are are gay or trans or whatever, mm-hmm. me being able to step into those conversa- those relationships and realize how big my God is mm-hmm. and be like. You may not know that God's working in your life, mm-hmm. but I I know He's He's somewhere in here. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and get coffee with you. And I want to hear your story because I want to see where He's at in this. And it's like then this beautiful thing of like you start seeing God pop up in people's lives, and those people don't even believe in God. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you um, it just makes you more thankful and like. Uh, easier to be around too but like way more thankful for the people in your life and able to have those conversations and work with them wherever they are at of like something that I had to come to terms with was uh, and Justin Bieber helped me do this mm-hmm. of I, I used to look at Justin Bieber and judge him because he went to Hillsong mm-hmm. and be like oh you you're not in the mm-hmm the right church you don't have the right understanding of God and all this stuff but then hearing him on Zach Sang's radio show and explain the gospel mm-hmm. better than David Platt mm-hmm. and I was just like frick mm-hmm. and it was just this moment of well, he started at a different place than me I grew up in church mm-hmm. and I didn't have all the same struggles I didn't I I, I, I feel like uh I'm not really a part of a tribe anymore but the the groups that I tend to be a part of I think they're more they tend to be more where I think is biblical I was blessed by growing up with a family and a church who raised me in that environment but not everyone is raised in a church environment like that not everyone is raised with parents who are like you need to only date Christians because that's that's where you're your, the, big, the biggest values in your life lie. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't grow up like that, so yeah. they they make choices that are different than yours because they were never taught that. Yeah, and so then, I don't know. It's it's also it's made me like understand the importance of discipleship and how there's no like clear path on how to do it because, like when you discipled me, I I grew up in the same church you did. Mm-hmm. You, our, our families are very closely united on a lot of things mm-hmm. 
And so I remember a lot of the conversations we had early on was you just trying to get me to answer the question mm-hmm. of like, you you knew I had the answer mm-hmm. or knew the answer. It was just, Austin, can you tell me the answer? Mm-hmm. Whereas with other kids that you discipled over the years or like I've discipled over the years, they didn't grow up in church at all. And so it's like, no, yeah. we, I need to just like introduce you to the, yeah. the answers. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because like and it, ever since you asked me to to have this conversation with you, like I it, it's it's interesting to me to think through things that stick out to people versus things that like you don't remember, you yeah. know. Um, and I mean, obviously, like you, it's crazy to think about because I mean me being on staff at that church is almost 10 years ago you know yeah um me spending a lot of time discipling you as a teenager is 10 years ago it's yeah 11 years ago you know and so like i mean i remember we we would get together a lot you Mm -hmm. know and so like when you have that sort of frequency with someone like there are a lot of things that don't stick out because so much of it felt routine. You you know what I mean? It's just like normal course of life. Like it's Tuesday, Austin's going to come over after school. Like Tuesday changed my life multiple times. Yeah. And so like, I've, I've been trying to like rack my brain of like, what did, what, what conversations did we even have? You know, because like, I can't sit here and say that I had, I didn't have like a plan. You, You know what I mean? Like, and I know that seems weird. Like, I didn't have this, like, uh, to put it in school terms, long-term curriculum that I was planning to take you through. You know, yeah. it was just like... I would have assumed you did. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, so I remember doing something connected to David a David Platt study. Yep, radical. Okay. Um, you printed you copied it out of the book. <laughs> yeah, so you're you're telling everybody that I committed copyright infringement. So Absolutely, yeah. It's so it's know. the church; they forgive yeah, you. That's it. That's it. Um, I remember you would come over to my house frequently. Uh, we went through the Book of James. Went through the Book of James. Okay. What I mean, so so I'm trying to I'm still trying <laughs> to like think through like yeah, what, what are we, some uh, of the studies that we did. I do remember there there came a point where you were really really interested in somehow you had found out that i was at least inclined to reform theology yeah i've seen the book on your show yeah um it was uh was it the joy of calvinism or i I don't even remember what it was i just remembered seeing the word calvinism and it was uh, on the bookshelf yeah the the little tv stain y'all had Mm -hmm. i remember just pointing at being like what is that yeah and I remember it, was, it wasn't a religion I'd ever heard of. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, well, Lecrae's a Calvinist. Yeah. Uh, all your favorite rappers are Calvinists. Yeah. And you start going through the list. And uh, I was like, oh, this is, I love those guys. Yeah. They're cool. Yeah. Calvinism's cool. Yeah. But then that just being a very long journey after that of being like, I don't know if Calvinism is a school. Yeah. yeah. It's like he, Kobe might be a heretic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember having a season of conversations about that where, and if I, if I'm looking back on it, obviously, I held to those things. I, I would like to think that I typically didn't try to like say you have to 
you have to be this way. You have to be a Calvinist or not at all. Like you, uh, I think that's probably one of the misconceptions people have. They still have, mm-hmm. which pisses me off. Is they assume that whatever Kobe said, Austin diehard believed and right. went and followed, and like I right. was the little baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that wasn't it at all. Mm-hmm. Of, I constantly disagreed with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a time where I was like, "No, Kobe's dead wrong about this Calvinism thing." Yeah. John three sixteen proves it. Yeah, and posting that on Facebook. I, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> uh, those times. Yeah, and there's yeah. You never pushed Calvinism on, on any of us yeah. in the youth group. Yeah. And I was the closest one, so if you were going to push it on anyone, it would have been me. But you were actually yeah. very cautious, and you didn't really talk about it that much right. uh, until I got older. Yeah. And then, if I'm right, too, you asked my parents if it was okay to yeah. Yeah. talk to me about that stuff. Yeah. I, I was I was standing under the, uh, the, the awning at the church there, mm-hmm. and I was like talking to your dad. I'm like... He's he's got a lot of questions about this stuff, and I'm like, I, uh, I was like, I, this is not the most important thing, you know. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to make sure that he was okay. Like if those conversations came up, you know. Um, and I can't. That, that's something else I can't shake though is what you did uh, prioritize early on, uh, and I think that radical by David Platt study is like. I've tried to use that again. Mm. It, it doesn't work quite as well. But mm. the understanding grace and mercy mm. were the two big things that like really sunk in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why it was... Calvinism would end up making a lot of sense to me. Is you really made sure... Granted, I was a church kid who thought that I was saved already. Right. And you taking me through the book of James and being like, well, you can believe but not be saved... Mm rattled me mm-hmm. I was like okay well it's nothing I'm doing mm-hmm. I, I need to like rethink all this and mm-hmm. you just instilled like very core Christian principles that all Christians believe mm-hmm. into me and that just in my own mind caused me to think through limited atonement and mm-hmm. irresistible grace and all that stuff mm-hmm. um, it was never Kobe pushing me <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You I, never even took me through a book on Calvinism. Mm-mm. You took me through Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. Yeah. Okay. I remember that which one is now. Just yeah. the mm-hmm. very basic gospel. Yeah. 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 A lot of a lot of uh, X twenty nine stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> um, yeah. I. I. I think. Uh, I, I. What's What's funny is like. I, I I assumed in a lot of ways that like walking with somebody relationally through their faith was like the assumption of like this is how disciple discipleship looks like yeah. like I'm, we're gonna know each other we're gonna have a friendship you know mm-hmm. um, and like I'm just gonna I, I think if I if I were to say that I had like a goal when I think about our time you know through through when you were in high school it's just like we're going to spend time together and I'm going to make sure that like we're trying to study something together or we're trying to like at least make part of our hanging out like 
purposeful and yeah. talk about the Lord or talk about something serious. And I'm sure there were times when we didn't explicitly talk about the Lord. And like, I still think that's okay. Like, yeah. that's good. That's a part of life. Like life yeah, together. You, you introduced me to Skate Three and showed me how to beat people with skateboards, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was life changing yeah. too. Yeah, that was you know because I was, wasn't allowed to play violent video games. Yeah, and and that's what my training at Liberty <laughs> Liberty University. You know, it's expose kids to you know violent video games um yeah I, it's just like in some in a lot of ways i'm like i, don't, I can't believe i get you know uh, i'm getting paid to work with students you yeah. know and it's just like all right i'm gonna dig in you know and yeah. um there were students who you know they were kind and all of that but they weren't interested you know yeah. um and then you know there's you know, few and far between, but like students like you, that's like, no, nah, I'm, this is what I'm, I'm looking for. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a, a, an element of all of this as well is like, I think discipleship is not, th- there's a facet of it where it's like mentor, mentoree or like mm-hmm. m- more mature person, less mature person, but like it's, it's absolutely reciprocal as well you know and like the fact that you wanted to engage with the conversations you wanted to study together you know like if you would have been stiff arming me the whole way like I can't be dragging you around like wanting it's just like with kids at the school I'm like I can't want you I can't want this more than you want this like you've got to you've got to bring some stuff to the table you know and and so you feel like it was tough at first though because I I remember uh sitting on your your little porch mm-hmm. and you'd ask me questions and it's like I I knew answers mm-hmm. it was just I wasn't confident in my answers so I wouldn't say anything and you just being like we'll wait yeah <laughs> and like over time being yeah. I became more comfortable yeah giving answers but yeah it was definitely probably a struggle at first right I mean, I'm sure there were awkward moments, and I'm sure there were times where, like, we walked away from each other, and you're like, that was awkward, and I'm I'm walking away, and I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere with this person, like, but I, I felt like I had realistic expectations about, like, a relationship takes time, yeah. you know, um, it takes time to build trust, you know. Uh, it takes time for people to be comfortable around one another and like be, you know, frustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you know, you talk about like Kobe's wrong about this. You know, uh, <laughs> Facebook warrior. Like, yeah. there was a time when that wouldn't have been a part of what you would have done. You know, mm-hmm. like you, you weren't comfortable articulating things like that. That nor would you have been comfortable like communicating something like that to me just because there's no relationship there yeah versus when you get real comfortable and like friends can just be like i disagree with you really intensely and i i even remember those times like i never like took offense to that i'm just like do you you know do your thing you know like uh, it's we 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 can we can agree to disagree a lot of what was helping me in that as well was uh during the season of my life my my closest adult friend mm-hmm. was a Methodist minister yeah. um, and we disagreed about everything you know yeah. but I love Paul Jones you know yeah. and we would spend a lot of time together and like 
I think a lot of what I would end up trying to do with like students and people that I was investing in would be like just mimic in some ways the friendship that I had with Paul where it's just like just gonna have like some real conversations and like it was messy you know but it was like I would those were some of the the best years of my life you know as it relates to just like full friendships and can I ask you about um because you also got pushed back you don't you're like I don't want to get into too much of the details it's fine mm-hmm. you took over the youth from a guy who was very flashy they're mm-hmm. like giveaways y'all's personalities are very different yeah and your style of teaching were very different mm-hmm. and so like he's got like a hundred plus kids coming to youth yeah he leaves you step in a little later mm-hmm. um and the youth group is very smaller, mm-hmm. and you're not drawing the same crowd that he was. Yeah, and so people would have like critiques of like, Kobe's Kobe's mm-hmm. killing our youth group. Yeah, because he's not charismatic and he's mm-hmm. not loud and he's he's doing things uh, differently than how this yeah. last guy did. Mm-hmm. But then. I feel like, and this is something I've, I've definitely stolen from you when I teach our youth group, is I think you've seen that as kids or as teenagers, we didn't need mm-hmm. the giveaway. Mm-hmm. We didn't need you to bribe us to come to church mm-hmm. and to talk about serious things. Of I think you actually seen this as like, you have your own thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. You're talking about this stuff at school all the time. Mm-hmm. You're just now we're gonna intentionally talk about it together and we're gonna dive in. Yeah. And so like even how you uh, ordered our cert like youth services, it was we sit around mm-hmm. and you have these handouts and we yeah. can fill out things, but you're asking questions the entire time. Yeah. Of uh, it's very conversational. Mm-hmm. But like, that's not people would have people did look at that and people still would have looked at uh teachers like you and be like you're not doing right discipleship right mm-hmm. because it's not it it doesn't have the same mm-hmm. drawing power and it's not producing the same numbers as this guy over here yeah yeah what was your thoughts so, on yeah that whole season so i mean there, there were there were definitely times when it was tough um I remember uh, <laughs> when when I started at the church, this the walls were painted blood red. Yeah, the stage was all black, you know. And even with all of the interests that I have that are a little bit like edgy, yeah, I like came in and I'm like, we're painting these walls beige. Yeah, and like <laughs> we're lighting this place up. And there was a guy that was an artist who uh was painting a mural for me and and this was a few weeks into working at the church and he was like uh we got to get this this place back to what it used to be and what what he was referring to is like hundreds of kids at the the church um you know you know the the, Mm -hmm. the way that it was it was done before and i didn't i didn't really say anything to him um you know it wasn't like a he wasn't trying to be offensive he wasn't making a knock against me at all you know but like I knew even from that moment like that the priorities that I had and 
I think people assume that's the only way to do ministry. Exactly. Yeah. So th- there's there's like 17 different things that I want to say as I continue to think about this. Like something that's an important qualifier to make is that like some of the books that I was reading, like I, I look back on my time in youth ministry and I would say that there are certain ways in which I could have made it more cohesive to youth culture in some way, you know, like it's not wrong to have a game. It's not wrong to play in fun things. Like, um, so I think I would have, if I go back, which I have no intention of working <laughs> in youth ministry again, but like if I were to take experience that I have now and especially interacting with kids at the school and take it back to that, I would have structured our time studying scripture the same, but been ratcheted up a little bit in the realm of like, all right, on Sunday we're diving into the Word, but like Friday we're going here, there, and the other place yeah. to have fun. Like, really, really being more structured in that. Um, I, I was reading some books that were really beneficial, but were definitely put me put me in an extreme spot in some ways. Uh, the first book that I read when I started at Southside was by John MacArthur, and it was called "Ashamed of the Gospel," and it's a really good book, but it's a sharp critique of like seeker sensitive type of movements and I finished that book and I thought that we we probably shouldn't have electricity at the church because it's a modern advancement that is distracting us from the gospel (laughs) (laughs) you know and so like I ended up swinging a little bit harder to to an opposite side where I'm like okay I grew up in a scenario where the fog machine is 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 going the lights have been dimmed the 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 environment has been cultivated to lend itself to Mm -hmm. decisions for christ okay and i reacted to that and i'm like we're painting these things these walls beige every light will be on there is no fog machine you know it's like yeah almost like yes it's another extreme yeah you know um and and so like I was processing a lot in time, you know, uh, trying to work things out. I, th- I think as time went on, I started to get into a better rhythm. I started to do things that I think were really good practices. Like toward the end of my time in youth ministry, I would send the parents mm-hmm. my teaching content, you know, broadly with questions, you know, mm-hmm. of like, this is how you can engage your student. Because I had become more and more convinced I'm like I'm I'm partnering with y'all I'm not taking your place like yeah. you need to disciple your kids and here's an easy way for you too I've talked to them about this yeah. you can connect with them and talk to them about this and I don't know if you remember I would even tell the students I'm like go home and ask your mom about this ask your dad about yeah. this um, so I feel like I started to get into a good rhythm um, I started to find that there were kids that were coming who enjoyed the way that I had things set up because mm-hmm. like I think I think that the kids that were engaged with it could see that it was like it was real. Yep. You know, like I wasn't trying to like I wasn't trying to put on a front yeah. either as a person or in in my ministry. It's just like hey, this is what we're here to do. You know, yeah. and um, you really wanted to get in people's lives. I did, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and. 
you know, there there were times when like there there were times when I I did feel some pressure of like, well maybe you should do things this way or but like I think again flowing out of that like love for like contrarianism and punk rock music <laughs> and like being comfortable with like yeah. no nah, no nah, I'm I you know to use a modern phrase like I I'm in my lane like yeah. I think God used that way that I'm wired to help build some resiliency of like no this is this is this is how I'm going to do things I th- I think I could have been more self-reflective and uh worked alongside my my leaders of like what are some ways that we can tweak it you know mm-hmm. I mean there was a lot I mean you have to remember as well when when I was brought on at the church I was 20 years old you know and and when I left I was 23 you know Jeez. okay it, you know so like I mean yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, I was a kid, you know, um, and and so like, there's so many things that I look back on, and I'm like, yeah, I was I was immature, you know, and I didn't have. Uh, I w- I was surrounded by people who I respect, um, but as it relates to having somebody come alongside me and say, "All right, it's your first year of ministry." Here are some priorities you need to keep. Here are some safeguards you need to put in place. I, I didn't have a pastoral mentor. I was brought in and almost immediately treated as a contemporary to these people who have been ministering for yeah. decades. And on the one hand, I appreciate that they gave me respect. I had no, I really had no business being given the freedom that I had in those those years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's yeah. almost like, you know, giving a kid a blank check. You know, it's like, go with it, you know. Yeah. And I'm thankful to God that, like, it didn't turn into more of a dumpster fire than it did at certain moments, you know. So I know that's, like, a lot, uh, you know. That's good. But. Okay, what about uh, your transit, or you becoming a parent mm-hmm. and discipling your boys of mm. I feel like because I work with your dad for people who don't know your dad just about every week comes in with another story of well, this is what Isaac is yeah. Isaac's able to recite some catechism or yeah. your brother Joey yeah. uh, him and his kids of like I'm seeing videos of them constantly of yeah them be able to answer questions that I still have yet to answer yeah about the faith yeah um you guys are being really intentional about how you raise your boys to make sense because you were int- you're very intentional about how you did youth ministry. Mm-hmm. You're just a very intentional guy all the way around. Uh, how has it been? What what's been the learning curve with discipling your boys? Is it? I'm assuming you're like me and that you had an idea of I I know how to disciple them and how I'm gonna bring them up in the way of the Lord. Yeah. And then things maybe not go as planned. Yeah. What What's that been like? Well, I mean, for me, I feel like a lot of my experience being a parent has been things have not gone as planned, you know? And I always like to quote the theologian philosopher Mike Tyson, who, <laughs> who said that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. You know I'm talking about? Yeah. I feel like that's what marriage and parenthood has been for me is like, 
frequent punches to the face, you know, uh, sometimes literally um, from, from Ezra. Um, like, when, so I, I, I do need to be clear to, you know, Joey is the one who's real big on the catechisms, you know, because mm-hmm. he's a way better person all around <laughs> than I am. Like, you know, so like, yeah, I, I look, I look at like our kids and jo- Joey has a real structure and like, I don't know, it's, it's outside the looking in perspective, you know, but that's like, it's easy for me to look huh. at Joey and I'm like, he's, he's freaking killing it. Like. And I, th- I think I think probably for a, a big part of this just ends up dealing with like personality of of children, you know, mm-hmm. and like how kids are wired differently, and um, you know, just there's a lot of things that come into play with that, you know. Um, I, I look at the way that Joey, at least from the the outside looking in because I mean he lives far away um, mm-hmm. I don't know Joey Joey just seems uh, consistent you know mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I'm able to like hear Joey's heart a lot and a lot of times his heart seems to be like he's just he's an authentic person and like I, th- I think that that comes out with his kids and like I think he I think Joey's really self-reflective of like experiences that he had that we had mm-hmm. growing up and like just how he how he wants to the relationship he wants to have with his boys you know mm-hmm. um, and and so I mean I can't say that I know what every night looks like for Joey and them you know yeah. um, just family family dynamics are different you know right. I, I feel like our family is like a lot of chaos, you know, uh, a lot of farms, you know, a lot of like, I've screwed this up. I need to say sorry, you know. Yeah. Um, and like, I remember uh, years ago that when Isaac was little, you like us sitting at the dinner table for breakfast or something like that, yeah, and you walking Isaac you, like he was reciting some prayer okay or some I don't remember what it's it probably was. the doxology yes um, yeah. yes yeah so so like with all of our kids that's just the that's the mealtime prayer that we've we've done um, and a lot of that is just because I feel like it communicates the heart of prayer before a meal you know mm-hmm. um yeah, it's just gratitude, you know. Um, and I always wanted our kids to experience like a continuity between church and home. And we sing the doxology at church, and and then they hear, you know, hear us have it at home, uh, sing it at home, and and there just being some like overlap there, you know. Um, I, th- I think for me, man, when I, you know, going back to your original questions, question about like the process of discipleship and and I think the thing that I have struggled with the most and the thing that's the most sobering is that whereas when I was discipling you you went home <laughs> yeah you know what I mean yeah. um, 
I could, if I was not in a good spot, I could put on for you. Yeah. Because like, okay, I got to get in the zone. Yeah. I just, I got to get in the zone. I got to do this for an hour and then, you know, I can go back to being an idiot, you know, or, you know, being in a bad mood or whatever. They see everything, you know, um, you know, I mean, I'll I'll tell, (laughs) this is a sort of funny story, um, but it's, it's a real, like, your, your kids are watching your example, kind mm-hmm. of. This is, this is, this is as real as it gets. We, we were driving home from Virginia, all right, and we're on I-95. It's crazy, okay. Um, Ashley's actually driving. I'm in the passenger seat. The boys are in the back watching a movie on the, the DVD player or whatever. And there's this idiot behind us, and he, he is like, we're, we're in the far right lane. We're not even in the, the left lane, like, we're not going slow in the fast lane. We're going medium speed in the far right lane. Mm-hmm. And we can't go anywhere, and he's, like, riding our tail. And I, I notoriously struggle with road rage. Like, I, I hate driving. I, you know, I get – I struggle the most, like, in those areas, yeah. you know. And so we finally get to a clearing, and I know he's coming around. All right? And – and I'm like, all right, I have something for you when you come around, big boy. You know, so he pulls around, um, and and I, I shoot the bird at him. You know, I, I mouth some some words to him, yeah. and I, I enunciate with my lips so that he can read the exact words that I'm saying to him. Okay. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm giving him I'm giving him the double bird, son, and he <laughs> he, he goes about his way. You know. Yeah. And I, you know, I just move on from that. All right. Like two months later, we're driving through the parking lot in my school, <laughs> and I see my precious middle school math teacher. She's walking in the parking lot, and I look and I see Isaac, and he's flipping the double bird <laughs> at my math teacher. I'm dead serious. All right. He's flipping her off. All yeah. right. And and I I turn around in this like self-righteous like how dare you you know what i mean like you know in my best mark driscoll and yeah. and uh impersonation what how would you even know like what are you doing you know i mean i'm i'm crawling him up and down and i'm like you what is wrong with you you scum you know and he looks at me with the most sincere little face and he says when when we were coming home from uncle jojo's and that car came around <laughs> that's what you did to that man and i was like I'm an utter failure, you know. <laughs> like I, I could give you, I could give you dozens of examples like that, you yeah. know. All right, and it and it all brings to mind this tension that I live with every single day. That like, and it and this is especially true, man. When I think about the fact that my sons will see me in a ministry role at the church, and they will see me as Mr. Tomlinson at the school, they know the real me, you know, and they know everything kind of chilling yeah oh it's dude it's sobering it's terrifying yeah because i uh and this is not necessary i think it's a spiritual goal but like one of the goals that i have man is that i want my boys to be able to see me at school and when they think about the quote-unquote real me at home that they see some consistency Mm -hmm. and that they don't grow up with this mindset that says yeah, Daddy puts on the Mr. T or Mr. Tomlinson persona, but when he's at home, he's a jerk. Or when he's at home, he's harsh. Like, and I struggle with those things. You know, I struggle with being moody. I struggle with like 
being self-centered, you know, mm-hmm. and like knowing that my boy is watching me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's scary. It's really scary because I don't want, you know, you think about uh, Jesus talking about that, yeah, and I'm paraphrasing hard, you better not make one of these little ones stumble. You, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Um, be better for your... Yeah. For, neck, yeah. Yeah, you'd be... <laughs> yeah, it's better for you to drown, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if there's any more place that that is more real than in, in my house because mm-hmm. I've had to say sorry to Isaac a lot. I've had to say sorry to Isaac for ways that I've spoken to him, ways that... You know, I've conducted myself ways that I've spoken to Ezra. You know, Ezra, like I said, that's Ezra right there. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, Ezra's the one where we butt heads a lot, and um, and I've, I mean, I've, I've had some really rough nights with them. You know, and uh, and just owning it. You know, I, I think I think the biggest thing that I feel like I'm doing consistently, and it doesn't feel good, but I know that it's probably the best thing for me to do. Dude, we struggle with family devotions. We, you know, those things are chaotic. I mean, we we can get into a rhythm and then we fall out. We get into a rhythm and then we do fall y'all out. Y'all do that like uh, every night. Like Matt, I remember hearing Matt Chandler talk about it. He's like, "Don't try to do it every night. That is impossible." Yeah. Try to once a week. Yeah. And yeah. don't make it an hour long. Mm-hmm. No. So we try to we try to do some form of a devotion the majority of the nights of the week but it's it's usually 10 minutes you know mm-hmm. like just reading something you yeah. know and uh you know we struggle with consistency there um i struggle with consistency just as an individual and they see that but something that i know that i'm consistently doing is repenting to my boy mm-hmm. you know and isaac's the one that's the most conscious right now you know because yeah. ezra he doesn't understand Totally, but I still try to be like, all right, you remember when I yelled at you, you know, and I was angry, like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and and helping helping Isaac to see me repent to him and and telling him like, Daddy had to say sorry to, to the Lord, like one of the probably the best parts of discipleship though, and most influential is you being honest and real when you screw up yeah. in like your faults yeah. of one of the things that has always stuck out to me about our time together was I was struggling with lust really bad and I was like I don't I'm thinking I'm the only person who's ever struggled with this yeah. like I'm alone and yeah. I'm a terrible person and I just never had heard anyone else talk about it mm-hmm. and we were at your house and you asked is there anything you want me to pray for you about? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm good. Yeah. So you like went and used the bathroom or something. Mm-hmm. When you came back, I was like, actually, uh, I have these, I didn't know to call it lust. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm having these thoughts mm-hmm. and they're very inappropriate and sexual and I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to have them. I know mm-hmm. I shouldn't, but mm-hmm. then I keep having them. Yeah. And you being like, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just being like, what yeah. and you're like yeah i i'm a youth past a young youth pastor uh and a lot of my job is i sit in front of a computer in an office by myself 
I'm tempted all the time. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, and I'm married. Yeah. And I'm tempted. Yeah. And it, it, I remember it being so comforting because I was like, oh, like not only is someone else dealing with this, mm-hmm. but like this person who's been pouring into me, who I, I've at that moment was like, you're the expert. Mm-hmm. You're like getting on my level and you're like, no, I'm, I'm just like you. And I'm screwed up. <laughs> and it being so comforting. And, and like even remembering my parents growing up of the best moment, the things that made me draw closer to them yeah. was the moments where they said sorry. Mm-hmm. Of me and my dad have had a very rough relationship over the years because mm-hmm. we have very different personalities. But the things that made it really, uh, helped make our relationship stronger was him coming into my room and being like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like I screwed up. I shouldn't have done what I did. Yeah. And I, I need your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And me being like, oh, yeah. Like you, you see. Sometimes we have this idea of Christianity of. We're it's that idea of like when it talks about elders and uh, one of the Timothys or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like you got to be a above approach. Yeah. Sometimes how we take that is. People have to think that you're perfect, yeah, and they can't have any uh, speculation that you're not the perfect Christian that you're supposed to make it seem like you are. Yeah, but then that does more damage to the ministry than the good. Of yeah, when you have that, when you act like something you're not, yeah, then when things get exposed, yeah, it's it's the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Mm-hmm. Um. But then if you're honest throughout your ministry and you're honest about, hey, I'm I'm trying to follow Jesus, but trying to follow Jesus is that's Christianity. Yeah. Is it's you you being like the disciples and some days you're mm-hmm. you're like, I wanna be at your right hand and the next day you're like, I'm going to abandon you yeah. on the very night you need me most. Mm-hmm. And it's that constant uh I don't know, that's just real life. Mm-hmm. Of that's how Jesus shows up in your life the most is you just being a human and him working with you through that yeah. and then when other people you, you take on these people that you're going to disciple and you show them that that's going to do way more have way more of an impact long term than a lot of times the, you taking them through mm-hmm. the explicit gospel with Matt Chandler mm-hmm. if I remember mm-hmm. the general idea of that book yeah but I specifically remember you saying, "Me too." When I confess my sin to you, yeah, and I, I genuinely remember you, uh, you just being honest at times and being like, "I don't know the answers to your questions," mm-hmm. and seeing how you interacted with your kids, mm-hmm. or coming over and like how you loved your wife. You loved your wife in a way that I, I didn't know of. You're a very intentional person, and I, I think I'm a very intentional person. And seeing you do that, and you you struggle like you said, but seeing you do that and you keep trying every day, and seeing the type of marriage you have and the type of relationship you have with your kids, and the type of pastor you are, it it makes me be like, it's okay to be intentional. Like you you should be, like. You're not going to have it all figured out. You're not going to be the expert, but it's okay. Because at the end of the day, I think you would agree, like, your life is way better 
with you trying to follow Jesus and you just oh, yeah. giving up. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think it's something that we struggle with as Christians throughout all of our lives, and 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 what I'm talking about is like the the temptation or the feeling of wanting to project a specific image of like I've got it I've, mm-hmm. I've got things under control um, and we do that with each other um, you know it's real easy to like keep your mouth shut when the time comes for you to share about your struggles because you're like I don't want all of this getting out and yeah. you know that sort of thing but like then we can in turn frequently interact with the Lord as if he doesn't see all of the crap that we have tried to sweep under the rug and act like it's not there you know Um, so like the times when I've felt the most healthy spiritually mentally physically like all of that stuff have been the times when I have been honest with the people that are close with me and most importantly honest before the Lord in the sense of like okay Lord I'm bringing all of this junk you know, some of this is self-inflicted. Some of this is out of my control. Like, you know, resolving to to trust the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. um, just and and really just like recognizing my absolute dependence upon Him. You know, and like in the power of His Spirit, like seeking to be proactive, even if yesterday was an absolute crap day. Like, okay, God, You've given me a you, you've given me a, a fresh start today. You know, I was listening to a sermon about killing sin the other day, and he was talking about how eternity is the culmination of the the pattern of your life and the things that you love, like the pattern of your life and your loves. That's what eternity is. So, like, if my entire life is given to the flesh, like, I can't be surprised if eternity is a reflection of, of that. You know, I'm not yeah. saying that um, I'm not saying that uh, our salvation is based on our works, but if in contrast with that, obviously your your life is a striving to fight with your sin and, and walk before the Lord, you know, to trust Him. Um, and He gave this example of like we know where California is. We can't be surprised if we drive east the entire night and we find ourselves looking at the Atlantic Ocean. Like, yeah. But in talking about that, he was talking about how, like, okay, if your life is going east and you're intending on going west, you know, man, the fact that you're living, like, God has extended grace to you to, like, hey, I need to get off. I need to make yeah. a U-turn, you know. Um, and, and that day in and day out, I, th- I think a lot of times, like, life can feel like a snowball. And, and this is kind of going into a different direction than what we've been talking about. But, like, life can feel so much like a snowball that we can feel as if we're powerless to to make a turn. But God's mm-hmm. given us, you know, all things that pertain to life and, and godliness, you know. Yeah. And new days and fresh starts, you know, man, it's, it's, an, it's an opportunity to... To walk before the Lord and say, God, I, I'm, I'm sorry for my sin. Wife, I'm sorry for my, you know, where I've struggled. Sons, I'm I'm sorry for how I messed up. God's given me today. And, like, not allowing... A lot of my joy has come in not getting so consumed with, like, 
the month or the year that I've yeah. had and instead of being like man like Ash and I were talking this morning I'm like how do you feel right now like scale of one to five like what what's your level of optimism for today like just just think about today like man I want to I want to honor the Lord today okay and then I want to build off of that momentum today and go into tomorrow and be like man God bless me with an imperfect day a day where I still had to repent but like man God bless me with a good day yesterday like yeah. let's let's take that snowball and like man honor the Lord today you know yeah. just kind of a moment by moment kind of reminds me of that idea of uh I listen to a lot of John Mark Comer these days mm-hmm. and uh he spends a lot of time talking about the difference between the spirit and the flesh mm-hmm. and how the more you feed the flesh it, it, again it's, it's like what you said of don't be surprised then when you start acting fleshy yeah. and uh but how the spirit, and Robbie says this a lot, of sometimes we had this idea of we're feeling impatient, and so we think that we have to pray to God, like, God, give me patience. Mm-hmm. When God gave you the spirit of patience, mm-hmm. and it's just, yeah, are you going to use it? Mm-hmm. And then John Mark Comer would come in and be like, are you exercising it? Mm-hmm. Of like, it's a muscle. Yeah. Are you actively like trying to build that muscle up and yeah. strengthen it yeah and the more you pour into the spirit the more the spirit's going to come out of you mm-hmm. because you're feeding it yeah but the more you pour into the flesh the more yeah you're gonna yeah. be falling into sin and being yeah. selfish and all that stuff yeah you uh, know but that's like another part of discipleship that i think you know uh that i've been like wrestling with more the last couple of years is that whole idea of the spirit and flesh of your you're walking someone through how to how to do the life Jesus has set forth of he had a very specific way of doing life and when you look at Jesus' life there's a lot of spiritual disciplines that he has in place mm-hmm. it wasn't just he goes to church and he listens to a sermon on Sunday it was well he practices Sabbath mm-hmm. he intentionally leaves the crowd and goes and prays with the Father alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of those like old uh, Desert Father monastic traditions, I feel like tapped into that. Of, they're really serious about like contemplation and meditation and rest and uh, confession. Mm-hmm. And and that like sometimes it's even in, I think sometimes they took it a little too far, but like I love that story of like the desert fathers of the dude uh, he was walking through the desert and he's seen a pretty woman mm-hmm. and he's like you're a demon <laughs> <laughs> and because he was lusting he's like you're the demon of lust and he just books it the other way mm-hmm. of he took the idea of fleeing from sin literal mm-hmm. and uh, there's like commentary on that but uh, they I think it's interesting how like the desert fathers specifically they were looking at how Jesus lived his life and they took it serious of like well if we're going to be followers of Jesus if we're going to do life the way he did it then let's try to shape our entire lives around it and there's parts they failed at but some of the things that they did really great at is things that I think like in our western culture we church culture we kind of forgot of we think it's very legalistic to have spiritual disciplines in place but part of discipleship is you like when you taught me how to read my Bible, you 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 walking me through of like 
I think we did like a Philippian study once that you kind of came up on your own. Mm-hmm. And you went through the questions of who's the author, what's the context, and you made me think through these things mm-hmm. of you're helping me take on the spiritual discipline of studying my Bible. Yeah. Of you, I think, uh, took the, at Southside, you took the church through this thing of how to do like a, how, how to pray. That was very like intentional and uh, just very specific, but it was like very uh, honoring. And uh, but part of discipleship is helping new Christians, specifically like all Christians though, understand how to actually implement the life Jesus has for them. And if you're going to actually try to lead someone to follow Jesus, you need to hammer home some of those spiritual disciplines, not as a way of earning your salvation but mm-hmm. it's like no Jesus did it like yeah. why would we not do it yeah you know yeah yeah it's and I, I don't know where all of all of it came from I mean it's is kind of a variety of definitely a variety of influences like J- Joey I remember when I went into high school like it's kind of when it seemed like the Lord was really dealing with a lot within me, and so there, there was there was a guy who bought me this Bible when I was in the eighth grade called the Surfer's Bible, mm-hmm. and it literally had like dude in it, you know, yeah. like it was <laughs> not a it was not a literal translation, but that that Bible helped me like begin to really get into reading Scripture, and then Joey bought me. Uh, an ESV study Bible like a good Calvinist um, and like I've, I had some people that were really starting to hammer to me like scripture intake like and they weren't using a lot of they weren't using language of like spiritual disciplines I didn't know who Donald Whitney was at this point or you know but there there were certain practices that started getting held up before me um that was far more it was like routine mm-hmm. versus like a lot of the experience that I had in youth group was go to youth camp experience a spiritual high ride that wave for a yeah. couple of weeks go back into mediocrity yeah you know? and like moving away from like living this life going from emotional high to emotional high or emotional high to emotional low to like the that and there's a lot of theologians who've talked about this, but like the grace of normalcy, you yeah. know, the grace of just like man, the the day in day out grind of like this is how God communicates His grace to us is like yeah. through the routine, you know, um, the the seemingly unremarkable, you know, um, and so I think when I started meeting with you and in any student that I would meet with is like, man, the most important thing that they can have as a foundation is like, man, the word, the word is central, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I used to put things and I'd be like, okay, we're going to approach this passage theologically. We're going to approach this passage biographically. And uh, what does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about myself? Like yeah. just trying to, trying to ask questions that are, flowing from the text you mm-hmm. know um 
and a lot of that it just that kind of made sense to me it's like man if we're going to be about the bible let's you know and i think that's why i loved like driscoll and like yeah. a lot of a lot of those uh more reformed guys because mm-hmm. it's like seemed like the word was placed at the, the yeah. focal point you know and that was always the best part for me and you know mm-hmm. they're you know you've got you've got dry seasons you've got times where you're just like punch you feel like you're punching a clock you know yeah. like a lot of the christian life is you know it's just like with my kids man it's like i'm i might i might could tell you two conversations in the last eight months that i've had with isaac where i felt like something was clicking for him mm-hmm. but there's plenty that's going on within those eight months that God's using, you yeah. know, um, that I might not be privy to, or um, I might have felt like it was a total flop, and and God's doing something through it, you know. And so, like, you know, intentionality is. I want to be intentional, you know. I struggle with laziness, you know. I think I think everybody does for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And and so just not growing cold in the midst of like. My, my struggle with, you know, I would rather, you know, turn my brain off and watch, you know, this TV show than, yeah. like, have this active conversation with my kids or with my wife. And, yeah. You know. That's, uh, yeah. We, uh, It, it reminds me of, and I've said it on the podcast before, but like that Jordan Peterson idea of, uh, I think he said it in his book Beyond Order, maybe, of what type of life do you want? Yeah. And then work backwards. Yeah. Very like basic idea, yeah. but like mm-hmm. it's helped me a lot of, well, I want to live a life like Jesus did and. Jordan Peterson's advice, John McCormick's advice would be like, well, then take note of what he did. And mm-hmm. it was something like I started doing, I need to do it again. Of, as I'm reading the Gospels, highlighting Jesus, he was resting. Mm-hmm. Jesus intentionally uh, was at the, the temple. He yeah. was eating with others and mm-hmm. like taking notes of those little things that they're like little one liners that get put in the story of like him feeding the 5,000. And we've we, we missed that one line that's like yeah. could really transform our lives and uh I think it was interesting though you pointed out the spiritual high thing of like you drunk, jumping from spiritual high to spiritual high mm-hmm. and uh I think because the bridge we are we can we can probably fall into that trap sometimes of we we don't we're not a very traditional church mm-hmm. we're not really big on spiritual disciplines uh hopefully we get more into that space but uh we can definitely find ourselves going from spiritual high to spiritual high and i would hope that as time goes on we embrace this idea that jesus wants every day of your life and that you can it's that idea like jefferson bethke has of there's life is uh, scripture is full of rhythms of the a lot of the festivals and the feasts and stuff that they had were these yearly rhythms that they would go through that caused them to remember back to Yahweh and Sabbath being like the one that happens every week of it's a hard reset of 
intentionally look back at what Yahweh's done in your life and in the week going forward structure the rest of the week kind of aiming to honor God with everything you do yeah and then say you screw up that week you have Sabbath to force yourself to kind of come back to that realization of oh this is what my goal is is to be more like Jesus yeah. so let's go into the next week like that mm-hmm. and uh but part of discipleship of like even if you're not if even if you don't have someone uh purposefully sitting down with you every week saying this is what you do to, this is how you live the Christian life you can take you can do that self reflection yourself and say well mm-hmm. I want to live a life that honors God and I want to live like Jesus did well let me start putting things in my schedule yeah. I think that's sometimes probably hard for some people because they're like my personality type's not the type that schedules mm-hmm. but I, I think back to when me and you started meeting of People assume I love reading books, and I hate reading books. Mm-hmm. I I didn't read books before we met. Yeah. But you just you help put that discipline into my life, mm-hmm. and so now it's a discipline that's in my life, whether I like it or not. Yeah. And the longer I've done it, the more I see the benefits of it. Yeah. I think that's that's just the tension of life, right? Mm-hmm. Of there's gonna be things you need to do that you don't want to do, and maybe your personality type doesn't make it as easy to do it but you do it because it's the outcome is better yeah yeah I th- and and this can this can be where I, I can definitely be- begin to lean into my like be a man like you know toughen up I, like, <laughs> you know but like sometimes sometimes I can groan inwardly like like give me a break when people are like I'm just not the planning type and I'm like, well, that's why your life sucks. It's like, it's, yeah. it's like no one starts out being a planner. Yeah, we all start off yeah. like as babies who don't plan anything. Yeah. we just do whatever we want, and we yeah. develop as kids doing whatever we want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like we don't naturally brush our teeth. Yeah, yeah, but we know we need mm-hmm. to. Yeah, and so we start brushing our teeth whether we like it or not, whether yeah. it's natural or not. Yeah, I, I think I think people who everybody struggles with priorities yeah. you know but like there there are certain things there are certain things every day that I have to do mm-hmm. alright some of those things I don't want to do some of those things are things that are not enjoyable in the moment but they're beneficial for me in the long run and there there are days when I am a total piece of crap like and I don't do the things that I need to do you know but like I would say you know, and this this broadens things beyond like discipleship. It begins to look at like why people find themselves in the states that they're in, mm-hmm. like people struggling with anxiety and with depression, and you know, all even physical ailments, yeah. like all of these things. Like you listen to NF every day. <laughs> Don't be shocked if you're depressed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, dude, I I get it. Your life is hard. Like, yeah, four you know, albums in, he still hasn't gotten therapy. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Um, there, there is a, uh, he, he is not a Christian and <laughs> I am not necessarily suggesting that people listen to this guy, but there's this, uh, 
there's this speaker. His name's uh, David Goggins. Have you ever heard of David Goggins? Yeah, I've, I've, I've quoted him. Okay. Yeah, I love him. So one of my favorite videos of his, now it has a lot of cussing in it, but yeah. one of my favorite videos of his is he's running, like he always is, and he's talking about the internal voice and and tells you that you're tired and that life is hard and that, you know, all of this is going on. He's like, I decided to start recording myself. And, you know, he said, uh, that internal voice, you know, he's, he's, he says a different word, but he says he's a punk. Yeah, that, uh, that, yeah, I, I love that video. <laughs> yeah. that, that video, I play that video in my head frequently. Same. Like, and even though he's not a Christian, there, there are spiritual benefits to the things that he's saying in there. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times Christians, like, you're just, we wallow. Like, it's like, woe is me. And, you know, this is hard and that is hard. And, like, whether we're quoting Goggins or we're quoting Jordan Peterson, who says you need to clean your room, like, it's good for you to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not enslaved to the way that I feel. Yeah. I'm not a captive to this, that, or the other. Like, God's given me what I need okay and today I'm going to wake up and whether it's first thing in the morning or I have more flexibility later in the afternoon like I know I'm going to have some time mm-hmm. where I can say I'm going to do what I want and in the midst of that freedom you have to say even if I want to be lazy like there's some things that I need to do like yeah. I need to read my Bible I need to meditate on the word and fill my mind and my heart with scripture I need to pray I need to be alone a little bit you know um and I would say, while that there are scenarios where people need medicine and they need to go to the doctor and they have all of these things, like, man, a lot of the reason that we feel as bad as we do is because we mm-hmm. we just stay in that pit. You know, mm-hmm. we, we stay, uh, like Psalm 40 talks about the pit of destruction and the, the, the Hebrew for pit of destruction is actually pit of noise, you know, and mm-hmm. I've, I've lived my life there have been times in the last two years where I'm like, I'm in that pit of noise. And here, here's another reference for you. Andy Minio, in his song Clarity, mm-hmm. says, uh, what if this cloud that I've been stuck in, I construct it, I conduct it. Yep. And I'm like, oof. <laughs> yeah. I listened to that yesterday. Yeah, that, that, that is, God has used that song in my life. Mm-hmm frequently because there's a lot of times man where I feel like I'm in a pit of noise and it's because I put myself there and it's because I've chosen to be lazy I've chosen to not take responsibility I've chosen not to prioritize the right things you yeah. know and man that's where Satan wants you you yeah. know he wants you to wallow he wants you to you know oh woe is me I'm tired mm-hmm. I got a lot of responsibilities yeah I'm freaking tired man I got three kids and you know I got I got a lot of stuff going on but that's what I, Matt the one of Matt Chandler's sermons that always stick in my mind is him talking to men and he's like he paints this picture of uh, he's calling men to action and he's like well uh, instead of going home after like a long day's work and vegging out and just watching TV mm-hmm. and letting your wife do all the chores and take care of the kids and all that stuff how about you pull into your driveway when you're really exhausted yeah Say a prayer and say, God, I, I really need strength and help. Yeah. Go in there and start washing the dishes for your wife. Right. And then go to your kids and play with them for a little bit. Yeah. And then tuck them in at night and uh, let them know that they're loved by God. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and then go to bed tired because yeah. that's what you should be doing. Yeah. You should yeah. be going to bed exhausted. Yeah. And uh, that's, 
again, that's uh, I, I kind of embrace this idea, and sometimes I, I get worried that I'm like making it sound like prosperity gospelish. Mm-hmm. But I think Jesus offers a better way of doing life, and sometimes how we pitch Christianity to people is like it's a worse way of doing life is he's taking all the fun out of it but when you actually stop being enslaved to the mindset of the world of of the laziness and the the apathy and the chaos and all that stuff and you let you take on the life of Jesus and you do that hard work it actually sets you free and life is way better because it's like when you're not enslaved to all the desires in your in your body and you you take control but then when you're finding yourself uh, having desires for someone who's not your wife, you'll have that strength to be like, yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not going to entertain that. I'm going to tap into the spirit, and I'm going I'm to I'm have that, that long-lasting, healthy marriage, yeah. which is better than the alternative. Yeah. 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 There's... there's um there's a misconception that is sold and embraced by our culture that even as Christians we can struggle with and it is that freedom mm-hmm. is found in lawlessness yeah you know or that freedom is found in doing freedom means I do what I want yeah and it's not true not at you all. know um, you know the 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 way of the blessed man, you know, in Psalm one, mm-hmm. you know the 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 way of true happiness that Jesus paints in the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in submission to the Lord, yeah. you know, and people who have done whatever they want. Now, all of us have embraced that, you know. Mm-hmm. They know the despair that comes from that, and the the snowball-like problems that come from living your life disconnected from <clears throat> the Lord and His Word. And and then if you're a Christian, you know the joy, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you know the joy that comes from fighting with your sin, of yeah. submission to His Lordship. Uh, you know, I always try to tell the, the students at the school when I interact with them about God's law, it's like God's law is not written because God hates fun. You know, God made you. You know, God knows all things, mm-hmm. you know. And, there, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons to say that fidelity in marriage is better. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, you look at the one, the people who fell into sexual sin in Scripture, it never turns out good for them. Yeah. <laughs> you look at the times when polygamy takes place in the Bible, the Bible doesn't paint a picture of polygamy as like this is a possible option that would be no, it's terrible. Yeah, you know, it's Solomon's life was a wreck, you know. Um, versus the the picture of marriage that you find in Scripture, the the ideal of marriage and all of its difficulty, like the pursuit mm-hmm. of that man. That is that is better life, yeah. like you're saying, man. Life, the the life of the Christian is not. A life of misery, even though there's affliction and even though there's hardship, like. But you uh, can find joy in the pain of the world. Yeah. Of like, going through, uh, 
kind of the, the switch that happened for me is we had this little girl who had cancer at our church and the question I'd wrestle with is like uh, that's cool uh, the question like wrestling with is like why does God allow this little girl to have cancer like why, why would he plan for something like that to happen yeah. uh, why does he let evil happen yeah. but then it's like understanding the story of the Bible and being like he he's not on evil side mm-hmm. which is often kind of yeah. what we unintentionally believe Yeah, he's actively f- he hates evil more than we do he hates sin more than we do mm-hmm. he hates the cancer more than we do and he's actually fighting fighting it more than we do and what's so powerful to me about like Matthew uh, the end of Matthew 4 is Part of the gospel come the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom coming in is like Jesus is coming into these people's lives who are they're broken, they're poor, they're widows, orphans, sick. And they're not asking the question of, well, why does a good God allow evil in the world? They're like, Because there's a good God, I have hope in this evil world. Yeah. Of that's the good news, is in this evil world there's this good God and he's actually doing something about it. Mm. And sometimes it's like, you know, we're asking the wrong questions. Oh, yeah, for sure. 